Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of Stairway to Danger by John Blaine. Volume 8, Chapter 18, Proof of the Pudding Even as Rick saw the knife snap open, he realized he was completely trapped. There was no upright directly under the top of the coaster. To reach an upright, he had to go back toward the gangster or go forward into the broken frame and there was death in either direction. He had to fight as best he could. If only he had a weapon of any kind. Wait, the bump on his hip. He groped for it and realized it was the original tractor sort control unit. He had completely forgotten it. He pulled it out and hefted it. It wasn't heavy enough to throw. And then a wild thought struck him. What if it worked? Soapy Strait paused. He stuck the knife into a tie and pulled the pistol from his pocket. What's that? Nothing, Rick said hurriedly. He snapped the toggle switch with a finger, mind racing. What were the command words? Switch, he said. Switch! As though from far away, he heard the muffled sound of a motor roaring to life. Go, he said, and hope rose in him like a tide. At the same moment, he realized he had used the wrong command. Two, he called. Two! Strayed was puzzled and now looked worried. What are you doing? He demanded. What is that thing? He half lifted the pistol, pointing it at Rick. I don't want to shoot. Don't make me. Don't kill me, Rick pleaded. He emphasized the word kill. That word would register on the machine's electronic brain. The other words wouldn't. Rick had done all he could. He snapped off the switch and put the little unit back into his pocket. I'm not going to do anything, he protested. He backed up until he was at the very edge of the break. Then he felt for a loose board. The nearest tie was wobbly. He cast a quick look at Strayed. The gangster grinned. Thanks, kid. I didn't want to shoot. The pistol disappeared and was replaced by the knife. Strayed began to move forward, more rapidly now because he was at the top of the curve. There was a faraway splintering sound. Rick's hopes leapt high. The tractor saw was coming. It was coming right through the closed door and it would come right through the fence. He slipped the little unit from his pocket and added one word he had forgotten. Jump, he said. Jump! Soapy growled. Put that thing away! What is it? Rick thrust the unit back into his pocket and wrenched with all his strength at the loose board. He nearly toppled off the coaster. He fought to regain his balance and tried again. The board came loose in his hands, just as the tractor saw plowed through the fence with a mighty crash. 
lights boring a pair of white beams through the pale dawn. The gangster turned, eyes opened wide at the sight. What is that, kid? His voice was shaky. Rick didn't reply. From below, a voice yelled, Shopey! Shopey! Lefty was below the roller coaster, looking up. Up here! Lefty, find out what that machine is! Stop it! The tractor saw a crash through a concession stand as though it didn't exist. It was heading directly for the spot underneath Rick. Strayed snarled. I'm through fooling, kid! Start praying! He closed the knife and drew the pistol from his pocket. As he got it halfway out, Rick jumped. He swung the board like a flail, directly at Strait's hand. It connected solidly. The gangster screamed. The gun slipped from his nerveless hand and fell to the ground. Rick lifted the board for a blow at Strait's head, and the gangster grabbed his ankle, dumping him. He clawed frantically at the track, and his hands found a grip. He lashed out with his free foot and caught the gang chief in the chest. Strait grunted and let go. The board had fallen on the very edge of the track. Rick grabbed for it desperately as he pulled away, barely touching it, and saw it tilt and fall. His only weapon was gone. Strait's teeth were bared. He held his wounded hand up, reaching for his knife with the other. The tractor saw roared across the park blindly, smashing into the funhouse. The roller coaster rocked from the blow. The uncanny machine backed off, smashed again. It backed off once more, swung slightly, and came on again. This time it missed the corner of the building and plowed head-on into an upright. Rick reached frantically for a handhold as the coaster swayed. Down the shore road a siren wailed. Rick lost sight of Lefty. He emerged from behind the funhouse, pistol in hand. He fired at the tractor sore and fired again. The tractor sore circled. Rick didn't realize that then, when he had added the command jump, he had forgotten to snap off the toggle switch on the control unit. It was the most fortunate error he had ever made. With the unit off, the tractor sore would simply have plowed ahead in a straight line, breaking or avoiding everything in his path. With the unit on but no commands forthcoming, the tractor saw reached the spot directly under the controlling radio beam and began circling, confused by a lack of orders. Lefty fired again as the tractor saw spun. The lights picked out the thug momentarily, and Lefty ran, apparently under the impression that the thing would come after him. The rapidly turning tractor saw, motor roaring, picked off another upright as though it was just a matchstick. The coaster tilted farther and farther and then stopped at an angle of about 60 degrees. Another upright gone would send the whole thing toppling. Strayed was definitely shaken. He stared at Rick fixedly, trying simultaneously to hold on and crawl ahead. He wasn't making good progress. Throw your knife to the ground, Rick said calmly. No! Strayed sounded strangely peevish. Throw it, Rick said, or I'll command the machine to take out another upright. He lifted the control to his lips. The gang leader looked at the ground far below. No, he said again. One more upright and we're both cooked, Rick said. Better both of us than just me. How about it? Will you send it away? Strait asked. Yes. 
where he had to be careful of his words for fear of giving the machine a command. Strayed took the knife and tossed it away. Rick looked down and saw that the machine was still circling. He waited until it was pointed at the highway gate and then said, Go! The tractor saw took off in a straight line. Rick watched and saw that it would hit the fence a little to the right of the gate and said, Left! When the tractor saw it corrected enough, he added again, Go! The way was open and the engine still was roaring at high speed. The tractor store covered the ground in a few seconds and battered the gate. That portion of the fence dissolved into kindling. Rick waited until the machine was completely through the fence and then said, Two! Get! The tractor store whirled and came back through the opening, its blade plowing the rubble aside as it did so. Rick grinned with sheer delight. It worked! It really worked! Something made him look at Strayed. The gangster was almost on top of him, hands out and teeth bared. You're gonna get it, he grated. This was it. At least they were about matched in size and weight. Rick spoke into his control unit. Stop. The tractor sore engine coughed and died. Rick threw the control unit with all his strength into Soapy's face. The lightweight transmitter glanced off the gang chief's forehead. He shook his head and kept coming, hands reaching. There was no room for Judo, or Rick could have grabbed Stray's hands and fallen backwards and flipped the gangster over him. He did the next best thing. Holding with one hand to the tilted track, he swung with the other, keeping his fingers stiff and striking with the side of his hand. He picked the gangster's injured hand, the one he had hit with the board. Strayed saw the blow coming and pulled his hand back, but not quite in time. Rick's judo blow caught him across the bleeding knuckles. He groaned with pain, but kept coming. It was much lighter now. Rick could see his eyes as faint, mad shadows. He realized that Soapy Strayed would keep coming no matter what. One or both of them would plummet to the ground before this was over. The siren reached a crescendo and the police car swung through the break in the fence. But Rick didn't see it. He didn't dare take his eyes from Strayed. Somehow he had kept the gangster from getting a grip on him. He realized that the man would take both of them to the ground and never regret it. Strayed knew he was done for anyway. He had known it from the moment the sirens sounded. There was another sound, too. Rick had heard it for several seconds without realizing its meaning. The motorboat. Lefty was saving his own skin. Strayed was only a foot beyond reach. He covered the distance with deliberation, and he was grinning. Rick waited until he was within reach and launched another judo blow. His fingers grouped together in a pointed bunch, straight at Soapy Strait's eyes. The gangster jerked his head to one side, and the fingers slid past. Rick recovered quickly, pulling his hand around so that the edge connected with the gangster's ear but there had been no chance to put any force into the blow. Strait ignored it and reached for Rick's jacket. Rick writhed to one side and brought his knee up. The motion unbalanced him. He felt himself slipping and yelled. His hand scratched frantically, slipped past handholds, and finally caught on the downside track. His fingers tightened convulsively as his body went over and dangled in midair. Strait was pleased.
He sat back for a moment and looked into Rick's helpless, agonized face. Now I have a chance, Strayed said. Do I kick you or get it over with in a hurry? Or do I pry your fingers loose one at a time? He appeared to think it over. Finally, he made a decision. Balancing delicately on the tilted track, he got to his feet. He placed one foot between Rick's hands, bracing his shoe against the other. Then, knees bent, crouching to keep his balance, he lifted the other foot and poised it over Rick's head. Chapter 19 Strayed Imitates a Bird Rick closed his eyes. He was helpless. There was nothing he could do but take it. He let his body go limp, let his knees flex. He would fall relaxed. It was his only chance. Just the same, he wasn't giving up. He tightened his grip on the rail. He wouldn't fall that easily. He opened his eyes and saw Stray's foot descending, saw the gangster's cruel grin. It was the grin that did it. Anger boiled up in Rick. He might drop, but he was taking Soapy Strain with him. With a mighty pull, he swung, shifting his entire weight to his left hand, freeing his right. His right reached high and grabbed the gangster's descending foot, and he pulled. Strayed screamed. The gangster jerked forward, flying through the air over Rick's head. The force of the pull almost broke Rick's grip. His shoulder wrenched violently, and he felt something give. But he held on desperately. Teeth gritted together. Strayed writhed in midair like a cat, and landed with his knees flexed. The force of the fall drove him forward onto his face. He sprawled for a moment, then tried to get to his feet. With a groan, he pitched forward again and tried to crawl. Then suddenly, Scotty and a trooper were standing over him. The police car had arrived unnoticed by the two on the roller coaster. Hang on, Rick, Scotty called. I'm coming. Rick's left arm had been strained to the point where he had no strength left. He had managed to regain a grip with his right hand, but with his left growing numb, he was actually hanging on with only his right hand. You'd better hurry, he gasped. Scotty surveyed the leaning structure, crossed under it so that he would not be climbing against the overhang, and went up and upright to the first crossbar. He sized up the situation and planned what he was going to do. Then realizing that Rick couldn't hang on long, he went right up to the track itself. This was the bad part. Rick was hanging free between two uprights, but he was too far away to reach either. Scotty did a hand walk along the rail, his own body hanging free until he was directly opposite Rick. How much strength you got? he asked. Not much, Rick said faintly. Both hands were aching and his left was practically useless. Better hurry. Can you keep your arms down if I get my feet under your armpits? Rick knew that he could do that much. Yeah. The track was about five feet wide. Scotty gauged the distance. I'm going to swing my legs over and wrap them around your chest. When I give the word, let go and clamp your arms down over my legs. 
Rick realized the strain that would come suddenly on Scotty's hands as he let go and jolted down. Can you do that? Yeah. Two of the troopers had been in the car with Scotty. One of them had started climbing after Scotty almost instantly. The other had put handcuffs on Soapy Strayed and was examining him for broken bones. He was finding a few. The trooper who had climbed was holding to the upright, waiting. I'm standing by, he called. Okay, Scotty said. Here goes. He swung slightly to gain momentum and then made a big swing that brought his legs up around Rick's waist. He moved his legs until they were around Rick's chest, but to do it, he had to put the weight of his legs, one at a time, on Rick. It was almost too much. Rick was within an ace of dropping when Scotty called, Now! Rick let go and dropped. He brought his arms down sharply and locked them to his sides over Scotty's legs, and he held his breath. The drop set him to swinging like a giant pendulum. Scotty groaned with the sheer effort of hanging on. Somehow, he flexed his knees to stop the swinging. In a moment, both boys were motionless. Only the grip of Scotty's hands kept them aloft. Scotty began to move his hands one at a time, an inch at a time, toward where the trooper was waiting. The trooper wrapped his legs around the upright and leaned far out. Keep coming! Two more feet and I can get him! Two feet was like a mile to Scotty with Rick's weight added to his own. He moved slowly, carefully covering the distance. The trooper called, I've got my arms around him now! And he had, too. Rick welcomed the firm grip. Scotty let go and the trooper pulled Rick against the upright. Rick was out of danger for the moment, but he was still a long way from the ground. Scotty swung to the track over the trooper's head and called down. Any strength left, Rick? Some, not much. I can get down the upright if somebody helps me. I've only got one arm, the other is numb. Scotty took his belt off and then tucked it into his pocket and examined the track carefully. Satisfied, he turned so he was sitting with his back to the track's edge. He hooked both feet under a tie and tried to swing backward. It didn't work. He tried another plan. Lying on his stomach across the track, he slid forward a little. As his stomach reached the edge of the track, he hooked his heels under the ties, legs spread wide. He inched forward a little and then swung down, hanging head first with hands free. Rick was within reach. Scotty inched forward a little more and removed Rick's belt. Then he took his own belt and buckled the two together. I'm going to lash you to the upright, he said. Trooper, can you support him from below? He won't be able to fall away from the post if he's tied, the trooper replied. I can do it. Hold him when you have the belt in place. I'll get under him. Rick, put your knees on my shoulders. Support yourself all you can. I'll do the rest. Got it. Rick said. Scotty looped the belt around his chest, under his arms, and then brought it around the upright and tied it securely. It was too long to buckle. Then he took Rick's wrists in his hands and called, Got him! Go ahead down! The trooper let go of Rick and lowered himself, then moved around the upright to a spot directly under the boy. He climbed until Rick could rest his knees on the trooper's shoulders. Now! the trooper said. 
Rick had his arms around the upright, and he supported himself as best he could, slipping down as the trooper moved. They reached the first cross piece easily. Scotty came down the upright and took up a position on the cross piece. The next stage was easier, since Scotty could hold to Rick's upstretched hands part of the way. At the cross piece nearest the ground, Scotty did the same. Then the trooper's feet touched, and he lowered Rick to the solid earth. Scotty came down and untied the belt, and Rick took a deep breath. Feet spread wide to keep balance. He was a little wobbly. He grinned at Scotty and at the trooper. Thanks, both of you. Anytime you need jobs as circus acrobats, I'll write a letter of recommendation. Scotty grinned back. All right? All but my arm. There's some life coming back into it, but it's still numb. He tried to move the arm and felt something great painfully. Probably dislocated, Scotty advised. Take it easy. I will. Rick put his hand into his shirt front to support the arm. It felt better that way. Then he walked over to where Soapy Strayed lay outstretched on his back, hands handcuffed on his chest. The gangster glared up at him. I'm probably selfish, Rick stated, but I'm glad you're the one who took that fall, and I'm glad it didn't kill you. It's a miracle it didn't, said the trooper who was guarding Strayed. He has a couple of broken bones, but that's about it. Nothing very serious. The gangster barred his teeth in a painful grin. Think you got the last laugh, kid? Well, think again. Ever hear of a private eye named Curtis? Pal of yours? What about him? Scotty asked quickly. What do you know about Mike? Rick demanded. He suddenly realized they had heard nothing from the private detective. He found me, Strayed said, and he grinned. He was looking for me, and he found me. Only I saw him coming. And that's all I'm going to tell you. Figure out the rest for yourselves. Chapter 20 Find Mike Curtis Rick and Scotty stared at each other, speechless. One of the troopers knelt at Strayed's side. Come on, give. What about this Curtis? Strayed grinned painfully. That's all you get out of me, trooper. Don't waste your time. Rick knew the gangster meant it. He had nothing to lose by keeping quiet. A sentence for attempted murder added to the sentence he had been serving, plus extra time for breaking out, meant more time waiting for him in prison than one man's lifetime. Attempted murder would be easy to prove. I'll bargain with you, Rick said quickly. Tell us about Mike, and I won't press charges for what you tried to do to me. The gangster just chuckled. A siren wailed down the road. The trooper who had guarded Strayed said, That would be Captain Douglas, or maybe an ambulance. I told the barracks to send one while you were on the roller coaster. Now we can find out what happened to the troopers who were supposed to be watching the amusement park. That was the first that Rick had heard of any troopers. Scotty told him about Captain Douglas's question. Then they compared notes on the yell from the parking lot. That yell didn't sound so good for the troopers, now that they knew a patrol car had been hidden there. In a moment, Captain Douglas was listening to Rick's story. He turned to the troopers who had brought him. Morton, you and Clark get over to the trees behind the parking lot. See if there's a cruiser there. 
Find out what happened to Patterson and Kasuski. I don't like what the boys say about that yell. Make it snappy. Now we have to find Mike, Rick said urgently. Soapy won't tell us anything. One thing first. Captain Douglas looked grim. I want to know what happened to my troopers. And where in the hell is Lefty? Rick had forgotten the phony caretaker. Golly, I forgot about him. He must have taken off of the motorboat, Captain. I don't know exactly how long ago, but it can't be more than a few minutes. You got a boat? Douglas asked quickly. Yes, sir. Scotty spoke up. Captain, we don't want to pick up Lefty, can't you see? He's the one that can lead us to Mike Curtis. If we just keep an eye on him, he might lead us right to Mike. Captain Douglas frowned thoughtfully. That's a possibility. But to keep an eye on him, we have to find him. How do we do that without letting him know we're on his trail? It's daylight, and a boat following him might be seen pretty easily. Before the boys could think of an answer, an ambulance came through the broken fence. A white-clad intern got out. Uh, what's up? We got a call from the barracks to report here. A trooper pointed to the gang leader recumbent form. Meet Soapy Strayed. He's a little banged up. Seems he had a little war with Rick Brandt and got thrown from up there. He pointed to the track overhead. The intern whistled. How come he's still alive? Takes more than that to damage Soapy Strayed, I guess, the trooper said. He's a tough customer. Fix him up, Doc. I'll stick with you until we get him to the hospital. The intern got to work. The ambulance driver brought splints and a first aid kit from the back of the ambulance. Scotty said regretfully, We could locate Lefty easily if we still had your plane, Rick. Captain Douglas snapped his fingers. That's it. He strode to the cruiser that had brought Scotty, leaned in, and picked up the microphone. When he had contacted the barracks, he said, Route Gus out of bed. You have his number in the files? He turned to Rick. Can he land air? Well, yeah. When it gets a little lighter, by the time he can fly down here, it'll be fine. Captain Douglas spoke to the barracks again. Tell him we need him in a hurry. He can land between the highway and the amusement park. Rick Brand has landed here before. Tell him that. And call the nearest patrol car and have it report to me. As he spoke, two patrol cars came through the gate. In a moment, they saw that one was Captain Douglas's cruiser, and the other was apparently the one that had been watching the amusement park. Trooper Morton, Captain Douglas's driver, saw the intern and called, Doc, forget straight for a moment and take a look at Patterson. He's in the back seat. The boys and the captain hurried over to Trooper Clark, who had gone with Morton, and helped the other missing trooper from the second car. The doctor quickly examined Patterson, then climbed from the back seat. Let's get him out of there. He's okay, but weak from loss of blood. He's been slugged and knifed. Willing hands lifted the trooper to the ground. Kazuski limped up, helped by Trooper Clark. Sorry, sir. We got taken like a couple of amateurs. What happened? Captain Douglas asked quietly. The trooper grimaced. We were sitting in the car. Joe had come back after making a quick trip on foot around the area. Suddenly we heard a hissing. It was air coming out of a back tire. I said, hey, there goes a tire. Got out on my side. Joe got out on his. He walked right into a knife. He let out a yell, then they slugged him. 
I grabbed for my gun and started to help him, then somebody let me have it from behind. Didn't knock me out, but it almost did. I turned and grappled with the guy that hit me, and we wrestled for a second. He had a knife. I got it in the thigh. Not serious. Then somebody gave him a hand. Both of them got trussed up and gagged, Morton reported. It's lucky for Patterson that he got tied. They cut the blanket from the first aid kit into strips and used that. It was thick enough to stop Patterson's bleeding, Kazuski added. I figured they came in from behind the car, took the valve off the rear tire, and poked at a matchstick or something to let a little air out. Douglas nodded. All right. I'm glad you're both alive. What I want to know is how did Soapy and Lefty know the park was being watched? They must have known just where you were in order to sneak up on you like that. I don't know, sir, the trooper said. We'll try to find out. Meanwhile, we have work to do. Captain started issuing orders. He dispatched a car north and another south with instructions to watch for Lefty and to exercise caution so the fleeing thug wouldn't know he was being watched. One trooper went in each car, leaving two troopers behind in addition to the two wounded men. Captain Douglas ordered one of them to go with Scotty and to bring back the guard the boys had captured. The radio in the remaining cruiser sounded calling the captain. He answered and was told that another car would arrive in five minutes. What's the plan, Captain? Rick asked. I'll fly with Gus. When we spot Lefty, I'll drop a note to the barracks and they can relay instructions. We'll keep high enough and far inland enough so Lefty won't know the plane is interested in him. We'll keep the cars tracking him. When he lands, there'll be a big enough reception committee to take care of him without trouble. What about Scotty and me? Rick demanded. You're going home. Rick shook his head. Not on your life. We have to see this through to the end. Can't we ride in one of the cars? Douglas smiled. I don't suppose I can stop you. If I try, you'll probably flag a stranger and talk him into trailing my cruisers. All right. I'll tell Morton you're riding with him. Thanks a million, Rick grinned widely. He didn't want to be left out now. Captain Douglas walked over to where the intern was working with the two troopers and Soapy. Patterson was neatly bandaged now. He smiled up at the captain. Sorry, Skipper. Forget it. That tire gag was pretty cute. I would have fallen for it myself. Kazuski was getting a bandage on his thigh wound. I don't doubt that, Captain, but we sure fell for it. Strayed lay on the ground and watched silently. Rick looked down at his enemy. Know what tripped you up, Strayed? It was passing a red light. Isn't that a howl? You run a racket for years, commit murder, kidnap, commit every other crime invented, then you go through a red light and end up back in jail. Soapy's eyes narrowed. You mean when I bumped that jalopy? That was my sister in it, Rick told him. You hurt her, Strayed. wasn't your fault you didn't kill her. If you hadn't run that light, Captain Douglas wouldn't have asked me to fly around and locate you. Of course, we didn't know who was in the hit-and-run car, but since my sister had been hurt, I wasn't going to give up until I found the man responsible. The gang leader muttered under his breath. Captain Douglas asked, Who thought of that rat trap idea, Soapy? Lefty ain't smart enough, but you are. And didn't you have a pilot's license once? Soapy sneered. What rat trap? 
Never heard of it. You watched us setting up the plane alarm, Rick told him. That's why it wasn't hard for you to disconnect it. He knew they could never prove that Soapy had sabotaged the plane, but it wasn't necessary. The fight on the roller coaster was proof enough of attempted murder. A call came in for Captain Douglas. The trooper who had gone north reported that Lefty's boat was nearing Seaford and headed out toward the ocean, probably getting out of the sight of land. Do you think he's trying to get out of the area by boat? Rick asked. I mean, will he try to reach Staten Island or something? Your guess is as good as mine, Douglas retorted. What do you think? Rick had a theory. Look, Captain, Soapy and company never got by the roadblocks, as far as we know. It's doubtful that they did, because that would mean they left and re-entered the area twice. I have a hunch they found a hideout close by, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of the summer cottages. No one would think anything of strangers living in one of the cottages. Makes sense, the officer agreed. Scotty and the trooper who had gone to the project came through the gate leading the guard who was handcuffed to the trooper. At the same moment, Rick heard the drone of Gus's plane. Before Scotty reached the roller coaster, Gus was in sight. Things happened rapidly then. Another cruiser arrived. The guard was put into it and dispatched to jail. Soapy and Patterson were loaded into the ambulance on stretchers, and Kazuski climbed in as both patient and guard. The ambulance got on its way. Captain Douglas took off in Gus's plane, and the two boys got into the back seat of the remaining cruiser. As they left the amusement park, Scotty suddenly remembered. Hi, our motorboat is still there. Rick grinned, trying to adjust his arm more comfortably. So's a tractorsaurus. Wait until Dad and the others find it in the middle of the amusement park. The cruiser rolled northward. As it passed the Seaford turnoff, the radio broke the silence. Calling car 28! Calling car 28! The trooper in front acknowledged. Go ahead! Captain Douglas has just dropped a message. Boat spotted, going north. Staying well out to sea. It is now just south of Spindrift. All cars head for Whiteside and wait for further instructions. Scotty smiled. Lefty probably thinks he's as safe as can be. Only he knew. Rick pictured the coastline. If his guess about a summer colony was correct, it must be one of those north of Whiteside. He hoped that Lefty would lead them to Mike, but more than that, he hoped that Mike was all right. Somehow, he wasn't afraid that any real harm had come to the detective. Strayed hadn't given that impression. There were only two summer colonies to which Lefty might be going. Either of them was nearly a half an hour away from Lefty's present position. Let's stop at Whiteside for a few minutes. Rick suggested to Trooper Morton. We could get to any point on the coast ahead of Lefty, and I need some breakfast. Besides, if the doctor is handy, I'd like to have him take a look at my arm. Trooper nodded. We can do that. The radio will keep us posted. He stepped on the gas. Within a short time, they had eaten a quick breakfast, and the doctor, aroused from sleep, was examining Rick's arm with grumpy impatience. Miracle you haven't broken your neck before this, he muttered. Confounded idiot, walking around with a dislocated shoulder like it's nothing? 
Rick gritted his teeth as the doctor, aided by Scotty, set the shoulder and then bandaged Rick's arm to his chest with heavy linen strips. That's to keep you from trying to use the arm again, the doctor stated. If I didn't strap it down, you'd try to climb a tree or something stupid like that. Now sit down and let me take a look at that leg. He rolled up Rick's trouser leg and exposed a bloodstained bandage. Sometime during the fight on the roller coaster, Rick had scraped the leg. He didn't remember when or how. As the doctor bandaged it, he said sourly, You'd better study medicine this fall to learn how to bandage yourself. Now go on out and don't tear up that leg again. I'm sorry, I didn't do it on purpose, Rick said contritely. Huh, the doctor said. The cruiser had waited outside the door. As Rick and Scotty got in, Morton said, Lefty is opposite Whiteside. He's moving in toward land. We'll get a line on where he's headed pretty soon, Scotty commented. If he's coming into shore, that means he's not trying for any points north. Scotty's surmise was correct. As the prowl car moved back to the shore road and headed north from Whiteside, the radio suddenly called. Captain Douglas is landing at Whiteside Airport. Car 31, pick him up. Other cars proceed at once to the summer colony at Beeman's Point. Boat has passed the colony near Whiteside. Proceed with caution. Park cars out of sight and go on foot. Captain Douglas will take command personally. Pretty soon, Rick muttered. He was getting excited now. From all around the area, the police cars were closing in. Lefty didn't know it, but he didn't have a chance. He would walk right into a solid fence of police guns. Their car was the first on the scene. The troopers parked across the road from the summer colony, hiding their car behind a large clump of willow. Scotty looked at Rick. You better not get too near the shooting if there's going to be any. You're not as spry as you were. Not with that arm strapped and that leg bandaged. I'm not going to miss it, Rick said flatly. Come on. Lefty was in sight, south of the colony. People were beginning to stir, and occasionally a car went by on the road. It was still too early for any but the very early birds, however. One of the troopers knocked on the back door of a cottage. He had seen the family inside having breakfast. A man came to the door. What's up, officer? The trooper explained briefly. Get under cover and stay there. We're waiting for a thug to arrive in a motorboat, and there may be some shooting. The man disappeared, consulted hastily with his family, and then led them all into an inner room. Another squad car appeared and vanished behind a screen of trees. Captain Douglas got out with two troopers, joined Rick and Scotty, and issued quick orders. Get behind the houses, off the edges of the colony. As the other cars arrive, I'll fill in the gaps. Rick, get under cover. We don't want a soul in sight when Lefty arrives. Scotty, you go down the road a little way to warn any patrol cars. Take cover before they reach the colony. Scotty hurried off. Rick and Captain Douglas put a house between them and the oncoming boat. Rick estimated that Lefty was still about ten minutes from shore. Another police car arrived and the captain dispersed his troopers. A local prowl car came and four Whiteside officers, practically the whole force, joined the troopers. That's plenty, Captain Douglas said, grinning. I fought battles with less men than this. The police had found good cover. Rick looked around and couldn't even see one. 
Scotty joined him and the captain. He's practically here, Scotty said. The colony seemed to hold its breath as Lefty reached the small dock and cut his motor. The gangster took a hurried look around, saw no one, and ran for a small cottage on the far side of the colony. Rick watched, peering around a corner. The cottage, a two-room affair, was painted green. A sign over the back door announced, Yule Ike It. Rick found time to wonder why people strained so hard to give a summer cottage such an elaborately cute name. He thought that Lefty would probably change the name from You'll Like It to something quite different in the next few minutes. Lefty reached the cottage and froze with his hand on the knob as the trooper barked, Get him high! Quick! The gangster's hands flew into the air. He turned a look of astonishment on his face. Troopers and policemen seemed to spring from the ground. In a moment, Lefty was handcuffed and the trooper was handing his gun to Captain Douglas. Rick was on the heels of the troopers who barged into the cottage. A man who had been asleep on the couch reached for a gun. One of the troopers jumped forward and thrust a police weapon into his face. Reach, he invited. The man did so. He was the third man who had been with Soapy and Lefty at Whiteside Pier. In an inner room, they found Mike Curtis. He was awake. He was lying on his side, hands and feet roped together behind him, a gag in his mouth. A trooper knelt and removed the gag. Mike coughed and then rubbed his tongue over his lips. He looked up at Rick and grinned. What kept you? Mike asked. Chapter 21 Soapy Stray's Secret Rick leaned back in the comfortable chair. Barbie had once occupied as an invalid, and let his sister bring him a cup of coffee and a freshly made donut. Think you'll live? she asked brightly. Now that the excitement was over, the reaction had set in. Rick felt as though he had been hauled by force through a very small coffee grinder. Every bone ached a little, and his shoulder ached unmercifully. His leg throbbed. His eyes had a hard time remaining open. He wanted above all else to go to bed, but he couldn't. He had company. In a semicircle on the porch sat Mike Curtis, Captain Douglas, Jerry Webster, Mrs. Brandt, Briody, Shannon, and Scott. The others were at work. Barbie served them all coffee and donuts, and then took a footstool and sat next to Rick. I'm going to turn in my badge, Mike was saying. Hand over my license to the nearest desk sergeant. I'm a fine detective, all right. I'm, a, I'm like the lion hunter who got into trouble because he succeeded in finding a lion and wasn't ready for the next step. I can see why you're a little red in the face, Captain Douglas said genially. But don't blame yourself too much. Mike smiled. I don't. Not too much. How was I to know that Jimmy the Dip would be there? Jimmy the Dip, a noted pickpocket, was the man they had surprised asleep. He had known Mike. Took my case of brush samples, walked right into the cottage, Mike said. Carried a brush in my hand, I waved it, I said, Gentlemen, here's just the thing for washing your car, scrubbing out your fishing bowl, or washing your windows. And no matter how hard you scrub, you won't hurt this brush. No, sir, made of nylon, new synthetic fabric. I held it out to straighten. I said, feel those bristles. 
He grinned and said, Feel that heater in your back? And I did. And Jimmy was by me with a rod shoved against my spine. He had seen me coming and tipped off the others. The rest is just history. You're lucky, Scotty commented. Mike laughed. He's down at me. But why did Lefty come back to the cottage after he got away from the amusement park and the boat? Rick thought he had the answer. I think Lefty didn't know we had him nicely taped. He probably figured he could get under cover and lay low, and then he and Jimmy could slip out when the heat was off. I think Rick is right, Captain Douglas agreed. Lefty felt safe once he reached the boat and got out to sea. After all, no one had found the cottage, except Mike, and he had been taken care of. What's more, if anyone had been working with Mike, he would have shown up, or something would have happened. Lefty wouldn't figure on trouble once a night had passed. He might have just gone to the cottage to warn Jimmy, Scotty speculated. Captain Douglas shook his head. I doubt it. Lefty wouldn't care about Jimmy's skin. He'd only worry about his own. Barbie sighed. Oh my gosh, these names. Soapy, Lefty the Goniff, Jimmy the Dip. What's a dip anyway? It's a pickpocket, little girl, Mike told her. I see, he dips into pockets. Exactly, Captain Douglas added. Well, the other man's name will disappoint you. I mean, the guard that Rick and Scotty captured. His name turns out to be Willis Montgomery Jones. Rick remembered the tough face and broke into laughter. Call him Willis and I bet you get shot. Mrs. Brandt spoke up. There's one thing I don't understand. Why were these men at the amusement park? That was Soapy's original hideout, Captain Douglas explained. I'm sure of it. He and Lefty probably reached it before we had time to set up the roadblocks. Rick and Scotty spoiled it as a hiding place. But we had a complete roadblock system thrown around the area by then, so Soapy couldn't move on. Instead, I was speculating, of course. He phoned one of his gang, maybe Willis Jones. He gave instructions. Willis and Jimmy simply drove to Whiteside and rented a cottage. There was no reason to suspect them. They had a legally registered car, and no way of knowing they were connected with Soapy. We can assume they picked up Soapy and Lefty at the amusement park and took him to the rented cottage. After all, this is pretty late in the season. Cottages are plentiful. Furthermore, four men in a cottage in good fishing country doesn't attract any attention. Cottage had a phone, Mike added. Probably one left in by the owner and charged for with the rent. We also found the car parked across the street. The registration in Willis's name was in the glove compartment. But why did Soapy and Lefty go back to the amusement park? I agree with Mother. There's one thing you haven't answered. Yeah, and why go there by boat? Jerry added. Rick remembered something. Listen, gang, I went up the stairs in the funhouse because I thought Soapy had come back to look for something. I didn't think he would come upstairs, but he did. Whatever is hidden must be hidden upstairs in the funhouse. Scotty jumped to his feet. How did you know he was just going to the second floor? Remember the light at the top of the roller coaster? He might have just been climbing to the top anyway, and you just happened to get in the way. Whatever the answer is, I know the reason they, they went by boat, Mike Curtis said. Jimmy the Dip is a thief, but no killer. He belongs to Strade's gang. 
but no one ever called him a gunman. After the other three had left, he told me. He said they were going to be picked up by a boat that was waiting offshore. That was Soapy Strait's real getaway. I think he went to the amusement park originally expecting to be picked up in a few hours. Maybe taken to Cuba or something. Maybe the boat was delayed. I don't know. Anyway, Jimmy made a bargain with me. He pointed out that I knew him, and if he turned me loose, he'd end up in the clink. That was true enough, so he said he would have to get rid of me. I didn't think much of the idea, and I told him. Well, he called me a square guy who kept his promise, and said if I'd swear not to turn him in, he'd release me as soon as Stray got a good start. I did the only thing I could, not wanting to depart from this world at my tender age. I made a bargain with him to keep quiet. As it happened, it wasn't necessary. Well, that sort of knocks my theory in the head, Scotty complained. Soapy must have been signaling for the boat he was to catch. Rick didn't think so. A boat could have picked him up at the colony. No, he went to the amusement park for something. I vote we call the project and ask people there to search the funhouse. Good idea, Captain Douglas agreed. If I may use your phone, I'll fix that right up. As the captain went into the library, Rick looked at his watch. They must be testing the tractor sword by now. He wished he could see the test. But he consoled himself. He knew the machine worked. And had certainly obeyed his instructions. Captain Douglas came back and sat down. I got your dad. He'll drop everything for a few minutes and ransack the funhouse. Told him he could wreck the roller coaster if he needed to. By the way, Scotty said, Where's the Coast Guard? Didn't you call them? Yeah, then as soon as Gus and I located Lefty's boat, we dropped a message to the barracks and ordered them to call off the Coast Guard. We didn't want a cutter or anything else, tipping Lefty off that we were after him. Captain Douglas accepted another cup of coffee from Barbie. While we're waiting for a call, suppose I try to sum up what happened. Swell, Rick agreed. I'm a little hazy on things. Okay, we'll start with Stray breaking out of jail. He didn't do it alone, obviously. It was a well-organized escape. He got out in a grocery truck, all trussed up in a burlap bag. His gang was waiting for him in a fast car. They got him across the river, probably before we were able to put men on the bridges and tunnels. Then Jerry and I got hit, Barbie put in. Yep. That time, Soapy and Lefty were on their way to the amusement park. From the looks of the funhouse, I'd say Lefty had everything planned. There were cots and enough food for days. If they hadn't left a track in the grass, it would have worked, too, Scotty said. But it didn't, Captain Douglas said grimly. The track put the Spindrift twins on their trails, and that was the beginning of the end for them. First time you got to the park, Soapy and Lefty were taken in. They thought you were only looking around, like you said. But when you showed up at night, and they were sure from the wreckage of the cross piece you had seen strayed, well, then that forced their hand. Probably they were already suspicious, because one or both of them spied on you while you were connecting the plane alarm. If I get another plane, the alarm is going to be foolproof, Rick promised. Well, they disconnected the alarm, rigged the rat trap, fixed the board you'd broken. Then Lefty got to a phone, maybe in Seaford, called one of the gang. We'll be able to check up on this later. It may be that Jimmy the Dip and Willis Jones had already rented the cottage and were living there, just in case of trouble. I'd rather think that was the case. You know, Soapy lays his plans carefully. He wouldn't have failed to make some alternate plan.
Anyway, we can assume that Jimmy and Willis picked up Soapy and Lefty at the amusement park and hit him out. Am I making sense to you all? You're doing fine, my Curtis assured him. Let me pick this up. Meanwhile, my secretary got in touch with me, located the real estate office that controlled the amusement park, and got the dope that Soapy's brother-in-law owned the place. I phoned Spindrift. Then, after I left, the girl in the office phoned Soapy's hideout. out. That's the only solution to what happened later. That makes me agree with Captain Douglas that Jimmy and Willis were already at the cottage, since she had a number to call. She must be tied right in with Strayed. We'll ask the New York police to look into that, Douglas assured him. Go on. Well, Soapy's his pals didn't want their connection with the amusement park known. We didn't know why. But the reason was strong enough so that Soapy risked bringing his boys to the Whiteside Pier to get me because I knew about his connection with the park. There were only three of them at the pier, Scotty recalled. Willis Jones wasn't there. He might have been, Mike pointed out. He might have just waited at the car, ready for a getaway. We drove him off, and we pinked Jimmy in the arm, just grazed him. His arm was bandaged while I was with him at the cottage. In fact, I changed the bandage once. Rick and Scotty nailed the other two with rocks. Not hard enough for damage but they left some mocks to pay back for Rick's black eyes. Rick grinned. His eyes were almost normal now, but they still had faintly colored rings around them. After that, Rick and Scotty identified Soapy and Lefty, and I got the idea of going after the reward money. Rick will get the reward now, I hope. He certainly earned it with blood. Rick hadn't even thought of that. He'll get it, Douglas agreed. It'll buy two new planes if you want them, Rick. No one will argue with you about that, and you alone got Soapy strayed. Even if Scotty and my troopers hadn't arrived, Strayed couldn't have gotten away. He was too badly hurt. Mike Curtis continued. I narrowed the search down to that one summer colony after talking with the phone operator. She had a record of the call, but there was no exact address because the cottages don't have any. She couldn't tell me which house, but she did tell me the colony. I think that Jimmy saw me going from house to house and recognized me. I met him while I was working on a case in New York some time ago. So when I knocked on the door, they were waiting for me. Captain Douglas picked up the thread of speculation. One of them must have reconned the amusement park. Mike, did any of them leave the cottage yesterday? Mike snapped his fingers. Yeah, Jones took the car out late yesterday afternoon. He was gone about two hours. That must have been when my troopers responded, Douglas said. I can't figure anything else out. Probably Jones went to see if the coast was clear and spotted the patrol car among the trees behind the parking lot. That's why Strayed and Lefty were prepared. And that's why I got to the funhouse just before they did. They took their time sneaking up on the troopers. They had to be dead sure of getting them the first try. I wish you'd told us you'd placed a guard on the park, Captain. I should have, Douglas admitted. Be frank, I didn't think about it. It all adds up, Tony Briotis said. He had been listening with great interest. But there are a couple of questions. Did Strayed expect to have a bolt pick him up? If so, what delayed it? Why wasn't he picked up on the first night he arrived? That was an answer they didn't get until much later. The boat schedule to pick Soapy straight up and take him out of the country had indeed tried to sail on schedule, but had been picked up by customs authorities who had been watching it for some time. The customs men had impounded the craft 
pending further investigation into narcotic smuggling. Stray's New York contacts had learned that their boat was impounded and had been forced to make other arrangements to get Soapy out of the country. While the group on the Spindrift porch was talking, a Coast Guard plane was at that very moment circling low over an expensive yacht belonging to a well-known gambler. The Coast Guard couldn't know, of course, that the yacht had stood off the coast near the amusement park all night, waiting for a boat that never came. Lefty had tried to reach the yacht, but had turned too far north. Missing it, he had run in desperation for the cottage hideout. Briotti continued, The other question, which you have already stated, is what is the real answer to Soapy's connection with the amusement park? That moment the phone rang. Scotty ran to answer. Captain Douglas was with him. They were gone a long time. The group on the porch waited anxiously, not talking. Finally, the two came back, and they had very strange expressions on their faces. That was Dad, Scotty said. They searched the funhouse and didn't find anything. So they turned the tractor sword loose and knocked down the roller coaster. It was a public menace leading the way it did, so they didn't hesitate. Rick, remember that very top of the coaster was boarded solid instead of having open ties like the rest? Rick nodded. Scotty continued. The boards came loose while the machine was battering away, and it started raining money. Big money, Captain Douglas interjected. There was a tar paper lined space about an inch deep and three feet wide and four feet long, and it was jammed with money. Scotty added in a hushed voice. They're still counting it. So far, they have more than $400,000. There was a chorus of gasps. Rick saw in a flash the reason for Soapy Stray's actions. The light on the coaster had been Soapy, looking to see if his cash was still there. He had left it, knowing it would remain safe until his getaway was fixed. Then he had returned to collect it, taking it with him out of the country. No wonder he had been willing to commit murder or anything else to keep anyone from suspecting his real association with the amusement park. The money must have been there since before Soapy was sent to jail. Soapy only made one haul that big, Mike Curtis told them. Payroll robbery that was never proved against him. Rick, looks like you and Scotty can split another reward. The insurance company that insured the payroll has a standing offer of $20,000 for information leading to the recovery of the money, or arrest, and the conviction of the men responsible. Rick sat back in his chair, open-mouthed and dumbfounded. He was rich. Incidentally, Scotty said to Rick, the man from Washington thought the tractor sore was terrific. Dad said it even worked better than they hoped. Howard Shannon turned to Rick. Did I hear you intend on getting a bigger plane? This reward money will make that possible. Rick nodded. I'm going to be getting a four-seater station wagon. This will solve a transportation problem. If you and Scotty will go on an expedition with Tony and me. Will we? Rick exclaimed. Where? He was amused when he realized Shannon had remained silent till he saw that the reward money would help him to solve a problem connected to his work. Not that the scientist cared about the money, it was just that he was completely absorbed in his work. Tony Briotti smiled at the boys. Howard has a good idea. We're sailing in about two weeks. We can take you and your new plane with us. You can get one in that time, I'm sure. We're off to a place called Banawi, 
Rick had no idea where that was, and he said so. Banawi is the northern part of the island of Luzon in the Philippines, Shannon told them. It's the home of the Ifuagos, a primitive people who were headhunters not so long ago. Even as he spoke, an Ifugua woman, clad in a red skirt and decorated with yellow yarn balls, was stirring up a fire over which a clay rice bowl bubbled. The woman couldn't know that a few feet beyond, in a secret place hidden for centuries, lay an object which would plunge four Americans into terrible danger. An object known only as the Golden Skull. The End We hope you've enjoyed this Uvula audio presentation of Stairway to Danger by John Blaine. This is your narrator, Jim Campanella. The Rick Grant theme should be recognizable as the Johnny Quest theme, which was composed by Hoyt Curtin. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com. You can also become a Facebook fan of Uvula Audio. Just do a search for Uvula Audio on Facebook, or you can do it from the main Uvula Audio webpage. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for t-shirts, etc. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. We are listed on iTunes, and you can subscribe and download our podcasts for free from there. If you like our podcast, please feel free to tip us whatever amount you may like using the secure PayPal links at uvulaaudio.com. From all of us at Uvula Audio, we thank you.